My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people who are facing many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I'll be speaking with Sandy Mowat. When the progressive conservative government of Brian Pallister was elected in Manitoba in 2016, after more than a decade and a half of NDP rule, it was no surprise that their agenda included a number of different kinds of neoliberal austerity measures, budget cuts, privatization, and so on. This has included plans to significantly transform the delivery of health care in the province. The changes so far have particularly targeted Winnipeg, with the closure of emergency rooms, staffing cuts of various sorts, and a range of other elements of the system that have been closed, amalgamated, and reorganized. A second phase of the transformation is expected later this year or next year, and as well, as is true in many jurisdictions across the country, there's been ongoing creeping privatization via incrementally delisting services that were previously covered. The government rhetoric accompanying changes in healthcare delivery has generally claimed that they will both save money and improve care. Sandy Mowat is the president of the Manitoba Nurses Union, which represents 97% of nurses in the province, and she says that the changes, amalgamations, and cuts may be saving money, but the experience of her members who actually do the work to deliver frontline services is that they most definitely are not improving the quality of patient care. The impacts vary from worksite to worksite, but overall they mean that nurses are being continually asked to do more with less. In some places, where healthcare aides have been cut, they are having to add non-nursing duties to their workload, and in other places there just aren't enough nurses. Since January, according to Moat, workloads are up, overtime is up, sick time is up, and morale is decisively down. Defending high-quality public services is a tough mission in this neoliberal era, but the Manitoba Nurses Union can look to some impressive struggles in its history. Most notably, a three-week strike in 1991 that won, among other things, a mechanism for frontline nurses to have greater input into the details of patient care that is still an important component of their collective agreements to this day. That strike was an early landmark in Sandy's involvement in the union, and it is still the longest strike by nurses in Canadian history. In the current moment, the union is speaking up in defense of patient care in a number of ways. The union has been critical of the inadequate communication from the government and the employer about the changes, so a central part of their response is doing everything they can to keep nurses informed about what's happening and about what the impacts are. And though all unions are finding it harder these days than might have been the case in earlier decades to get members out to meetings, the Manitoba Nurses Union is finding social media to be an effective way of keeping members informed and engaged, and they've also developed their own smartphone app for communicating directly with nurses across the province. The union is also in the middle of a comprehensive program to build skills related to member engagement among local union leadership in every worksite in the province. Part of the goal in doing this communication and engagement with members is making sure that members have the tools to speak out on issues that matter to them. 
Starting last June, the union has encouraged members to wear white to work every Wednesday as a visible sign in the workplace of their opposition to cuts and support for top-notch patient care, in part with the idea that this visibility will create opportunities to talk about the issues with other people. They've also made use of petition-like tools in a few different ways, including their Put Patients First website and campaign, that's at putpatientsfirst.ca, to make it as easy as possible for both overworked nurses themselves and busy Manitobans from all walks of life to express their opposition to the cuts. And the next item on their agenda is a rally at the provincial legislature in Winnipeg on May 2nd. They expect more than 500 nurses will be there, and they welcome anyone else who wants to send the government a message that they must change their agenda, stop the cuts, and start truly putting patients first. I speak with Sandy about the Manitoba Nurses Union, about the current political moment and what it means for healthcare in the province, and about what nurses are doing in response. My name is Sandy Mullett, and I'm the president of the Manitoba Nurses Union, and I have been president for 10 years. I'm elected president, and that's what I do. I work full-time for the Manitoba Nurses Union. And then the Manitoba Nurses Union is the union in Manitoba that represents over 97% of the nurses in our province. We represent all classifications of nurses, so registered nurses, licensed practical nurses, registered psychiatric nurses, and nurse practitioners as well. We find that to be a very positive thing. Lots of strength in representing all the nurses in this province. And we've been unionized in this province since 1975. I have been a nurse since 1983, so this is my 35th year as a registered nurse. I think it was probably late in the 1980s that I sort of was interested and went to a couple of local meetings at the facility I worked at, which was the Health Science Centre in Winnipeg. And then in 1991, the Manitoba Nurses Union actually went on strike. I still remember it so clearly. It was January 1st, 1991, at 6 in the morning, and I was in the basement of a hotel that was right across the street from the Health Sciences Center, waiting to find out that we were going to go on strike. And there was, you know, several hundred of us in there, because the Health Science Center is a large facility. And I think all of us really couldn't believe that it was going to happen. We didn't believe that anyone would let a nurse go on strike, that they would, you know, let this valuable service who took care of patients actually go on strike. And so when they told us that we were actually going to go on strike and we were going to walk this picket line, which I did very proudly for three weeks, I still was in shock about that. So at the end of the day, once we walked the picket line and we ended up back at work after the longest nurses strike in Canadian history still to this day, I then had lots of questions about how did this happen and I felt like I needed to know more. So I sort of got involved at the Health Sciences Centre level and started going to more meetings. Then fast forward to 1996, I was actually on the local bargaining committee at the Health Sciences Center, and we bargain centrally in this province for the vast majority of the nurses. So we go to one central table with reps from all over the province and bargain a collective agreement for the vast majority of the nurses in this province. So in 1996, we were bargaining, and I was just on the local committee at HSC, so I wasn't at the central bargaining table. And then the bargaining rep for the Health Sciences Center got sick, and so the president there came and asked me if I'd mind just going to the central bargaining table. And so, you know, I was young and naive and thought, but this sounds really interesting, and basically got put at the bargaining table centrally for the province of Manitoba, where they were actually almost done. They were actually into the wages already. And I actually ended up, well, I learned a lot, but what I learned was basically by fire because that year we actually took a 2% rollback. So then I had to go back to my 2,000 members, nurses at the Health Sciences Center, and basically try to tell them that this was the agreement we had and that we were recommending it. 
And basically, I guess, you know, long story short, because I could, could go on and on, the fact that I'm president after all that is actually probably a very interesting thing, because it's certainly I had some very, very unhappy members, although I will tell you that we ratified that agreement. And so then I just went on to be more interested in bargaining. I ended up on the board of directors in 1999, elected vice president in 2003, and in 2008, I was elected president. Tell me more about the strike in 1991. There was two major issues that caused us to walk out, and one of them was around wages because the union believed very strongly that nurses needed to be paid competitively. But the other major issue that we had noted over the few years before that is that frontline nurses really had no input at all into patient care issues. So we really didn't have any kind of a venue to bring forth our concerns about patient care and then have any input into it. So one of the major things that happened post-1991 was some language we negotiated that we still use very, very strongly today, and they were called nursing advisory committees. They are committees that are struck at every single worksite and facility in the province that are made up of frontline nurses and then nurse managers. And the basic goal of those committees is to deal with patient care issues. We also, at that time, negotiated a workload staffing tool. It's a form, basically, where nurses who feel that their patient load or, for whatever reason, things are unsafe can actually document that and report it to their manager and try to get some assistance with that. And those forms actually now get discussed at the Nursing Advisory Committee. So all this to say, I guess the easiest way to explain it all is that we were very, very clear that we felt that frontline nurses had a lot to offer when they were able to give advice about how their patients would be best cared for. We've had some great success stories where nurses have been able to bring forth workload concerns and actually it has resulted in increased staffing levels in some sites. That is a huge thing or sometimes just something as simple as a procedure or, or you know, something that relates to patient care where a nurse has an idea of how things could be handled better that it would be better for the patients and it might save time but still be better for the patients. We also look at things that may save money but also be better for the patient because we know we're in sort of a time where budgets are being cut left, right and center. And so, you know, we would argue that the frontline nurses can actually show you how to save money and still not have any effect on patient care. The other thing that happened in 1991, too, was that the government of the day decided they were going to do sort of a divide and conquer. And as I said earlier, we represent all categories of nurses. So we represent registered nurses and licensed practical nurses. And we have always negotiated the same wage increases for all of our classifications. And in 1991, the attempt was to give the licensed practical nurses much less wage increase than the registered nurses. And the registered nurses in this province actually stayed out for two extra weeks to make sure that the licensed practical nurses got an increase that was more equitable. Unfortunately, they didn't get the same increase that year, but we did manage to get them a better increase, and that was by staying out for an extra two weeks. So that just shows the solidarity and the strength of of this organization and the commitment to its classifications. So what's the current political context like for nurses and for healthcare in general in Manitoba? Well, certainly we're in a very concerning time in this province where we have a government who is basically saying that they're doing what they can to improve health care and to make sure that patient care is maintained and not have any decreases to frontline staff. But then everything that's happened over the last few months has contradicted that. We've been in the midst of a whole transformation of the healthcare system in the city of Winnipeg, where we're amalgamating services and closing units. We closed an urgent care center. We changed an emergency to an urgent care. And that's just the beginning. There's phase one and phase two of the whole transformation of the Winnipeg Regional Health Authority, which is the health authority in Winnipeg that takes care of the hospitals and the community and public health, et cetera, in the city of Winnipeg. 
they talk about, you know, saving money. However, every time they talk about that, they talk about improving patient care. And basically, we're seeing that they're saving lots of money, but I have yet to see anything that's improved patient care. And certainly what we've heard of late since January is increased overtime, increased sick time and increased workloads. So certainly we aren't seeing any improvements to patient care. And how are these cuts translating into changes in patient care and into impacts on nurses' working conditions? Well, first of all, it just it seems that nurses are being asked to do more and more and more every single shift with less and less. We have seen some areas where they have cut actual nursing staff. We actually concerningly have also seen many areas, particularly at St. Boniface, where they've cut health care aides, which is significant to the nursing staff because that means the nursing staff may have to do things that they normally wouldn't have had to do. So doing non-nursing duties, which then takes them away from the very important work they do caring for patients. Probably the biggest impact of phase one, where at the end of the day, there was over 2,000 nurses deleted. Basically, all those nurses ended up getting positions, many of them in their same unit, but the whole deletions process was disruptive. And disruption can have an impact, obviously, on patient care as well. And then the whole issue with lack of communication and poor communication caused severe um, staff morale has gone down severely at many of our facilities, and that has an impact on patient care as well. At the end of the day, and I've said this many, many times, change for the sake of improving things. We would all agree that there are things that needed to be changed. We all understand that healthcare is very expensive, but it's very important. And I think the lack of respect for your human resources, which should be your most valuable asset, in my opinion, I mean, these are the women and men who go and take care of the most vulnerable people at the most vulnerable times in their lives. And the fact that you're cutting back so desperately that they are having difficulty getting their work done is very, very concerning. What kinds of tools has the union been using in the last couple of years to respond to the cuts and to mobilize and engage your members? Well, just the basic tools, again, taking back to the frontline nurses, certainly we have those workload forms that we encourage nurses to fill out every single day. But I've been talking a lot about just being able to stand up and speak up. One of the things we've done that I think is very simple but gives nurses the ability to be heard and stand up is Wear White Wednesday. Last June, we started this on Wednesdays. We're encouraging nurses to wear white when they go to work. And what we're finding is that people are noticing that a group of nurses are all wearing white and they're asking questions. And that gives the nurse the opportunity to say that I'm standing up for patient care and I'm standing up for you and I'm encouraging the government not to make any further cuts, et cetera, et cetera. So that we think is a simple thing to do, filling out workload forms. We've done a lot with petitions and we've done a lot with, you know, simple ways to send a letter to your MLA to speak out. What we did identify very quickly is that we have nurses who are working in very busy areas. Some of them work 12-hour shifts. We have some that have been working 16-hour shifts. And so we don't want to give them onerous things to do. We want them to be able to do quick and easy things, but still be able to speak up for their patients. And that's kind of the things that we're looking for to help them do that. We actually launched a campaign at almost the same time last fall because we realized that it was important to engage our members. And and one of the main reasons you want to engage them, not only to mobilize them, but also to communicate with them. Because our greatest weapon, perhaps, is actually having the knowledge of what's going on and what the actual impacts are of those changes. And we wanted all the nurses to really understand what the actual changes were, what their impacts were going to be, and not just the nurses that were impacted, but the nurses across the province. So we did start what we call a one-to-one campaign. What we did is we have some staff who went out to all of, well, several, we haven't finished everybody yet, several work sites and locals, 
training some of the leaders there in how to engage your members. And they would actually just talk to them one-to-one. And we had some postcards and buttons that say, put patients first. The leader would go and speak to people on their own unit and just talk about the changes and what the union was doing and ask them to stand up for patient care, wear a button, ask them to go onto the website, put patients first, and sign the petition and send the letter to the MLA. So it was sort of a one-to-one engagement. It's certainly been well received by the leaders and the leaders have been very engaged doing it. We've had some challenges in some of our bigger facilities with the nurses because they're just so busy. So we are looking at different ways now. We're actually asking our locals to give us some ideas. I actually was just at the Concordia Hospital, which is one of our community hospitals, this week on Wear White Wednesday, and the local there organized a lunch for their members to just come down and drop in a pizza lunch and a meet and greet and ask questions. And we did have almost 50 of the staff come that day, which is a very good turnout. And they all came down and I just basically answered questions and we discussed issues. Those are the kinds of things. I think the main thing I've learned from all of this is that the communication is key and that we know that government and the employer is not doing a very good job communicating. And so we are trying to do our best to communicate everything we know as it goes forward to try to empower the nurses. You know, we have this busy world now and gone are the days of the union hall meeting at three o'clock in the afternoon, the local union meeting. And so I think we have to look at different ways to engage members. We've had some success with social media, and I think we'll continue to use those tools, particularly Facebook. That's probably been one of our most successful tools, which I know at this point in time maybe is not the most popular one. But certainly from our perspective, it's helped us with engaging our members and also communicating with them because, again, I have to emphasize the most important thing is even if you don't have people coming to meetings, which I I am basically giving up on the face-to-face meetings, except when you absolutely need them. But you have to be able to communicate with your members and you have to use every single tool available. So social media certainly has proven to be able to reach lots of people. We also have developed an app, a smartphone app. The nurses can just press and all the information is there. We have a weekly newsletter that keeps everybody up to date on all the changes all through the province. All the news media we're sharing now with every nurse that we have email addresses for. So all this to say that I think the greatest tool we have is communication. I know I've repeated myself several times, but I really feel very strongly that nurses are engaged when they know what's going on and they know what their union is doing on their behalf. So one thing that I've heard from other labor activists in what you might call helping professions is that those fields involve particular kinds of challenges to union activities, most of which have to do with the really deep commitment that people who work in those fields often have to the service aspect of what they do. So on the one hand, there is often a a real interest by workers in those fields in improving those services because they see their value and think they're really important. But on the other hand, that same commitment can sometimes constrain people's willingness to take action. Is that something that you ever encounter? Yes, I would agree that that can be a concern, well, a challenge for nurses. I think where you see that even more, though, is in some of the smaller facilities and some of the smaller communities. We, of course, represent the nurses in the whole province here, so we do have nurses working in the rural, which, by the way, we do know that we're going to have huge changes in the rural as well. We thought that was going to happen already this year, and that still hasn't been announced, and now we're thinking might not be announced till next year. So the uncertainty there is causing a lot of challenges as well. But what nurses in the rural talk about is that doing any kind of standing up or job action or anything is very challenging for them because they'll take care of a patient in one of their facilities or in the community, and then they'll go to the grocery store and see that same person, you know, and know their first name sort of thing. So certainly it can be challenging sometimes to stand up for your patients, particularly if you know them and you have a dissenting view, etc. 
What kinds of collaborations with other organizations is your union involved in? We do have a partnership, actually, with other public sector unions. We also have a group called the Manitoba Council of Healthcare Unions, so all the unions that represent healthcare meet regularly. So we've been working together around issues as well, and certainly we've had many rallies. We've had our own rally, which has been attended well by other unions and community, but we've also participated in some of the community's activities as well, because there has been certainly a groundswell of support for trying to protect our public services and make sure that there are no further cuts. And so certainly we are all trying to work together and speak from the same unified voice, and I would suggest that we certainly are doing that. Tell me about your rally coming up on May 2nd. Wednesday, May 2nd, which is Wear Away Wednesday, is also the second business day of our annual meeting. So we have our annual meeting in Winnipeg and we bring in almost 500 nurses as delegates to that meeting to discuss business issues and bring forth resolutions. We last year actually had a rally at the Manitoba Legislature and it was very, very successful. We had almost a thousand nurses there and so we decided we would do it again. We will be doing it at 12.30 on Wednesday, May 2nd, and we're inviting anyone to join us that wants to join us, and certainly our nurses will be joining us from our annual meeting, and we're encouraging them to wear white. And basically, we are going to the ledge to stand up for patient care. So we're going to make sure that government understands that we aren't happy with the cuts that they've made and that we want them to reconsider the cuts and that they need to take a much better view of what they're doing and what the impact is having on patient care and reconsider some of the changes that they're considering for phase two, et cetera. So basically, it's the whole ability to just stand up and say, the nurses in Manitoba are standing up for their patients and we're speaking out for you today. So based on things you've said today and on various things on your website, the Manitoba Nurses Union is committed specifically to a public vision for health care. Why is it important to your union to stand up specifically for public health care? Because we believe very, very strongly in a universal, publicly funded, publicly delivered health care system. We know that patients get better care in that kind of a health care system, and we have to do whatever we can to preserve it. There's been countless polls done all over Canada, and we all know what this healthcare system means to Canadians. And we really feel it's slowly being eroded, little bit by bit here and there. And we can't take our eye off the ball here because it is most important that we preserve this healthcare system that provides, you know, the best healthcare to every single individual, regardless of their ability to pay or not. And so it is very concerning to us that there's been any kind of erosion at all, and certainly we will continue to fight for that. There is lots of research that shows the importance of a universally funded, publicly funded, publicly delivered, very important to say that, healthcare system. And is there any part of the current wave of changes in Manitoba that is about eroding that public character of the healthcare system? Yes. So some of the changes they've made that we have spoken about but haven't been as outspoken about just because, you know, it wasn't nurses' work per se, but we certainly have talked about it because we know the impact it's going to have is the whole issue around the outpatient physiotherapy service that was cut here. Post-op patients who have certain procedures in facilities used to have access to outpatient physiotherapy at no cost. It was just part of the procedure. And they have discontinued that at all the facilities except the Health Sciences Center. And there's some scheme where you can apply if you're a person who doesn't have the funds to pay for it or you don't have any private insurance, et cetera, et cetera. So all this to say that that's certainly very concerning because that is basically a privatization, but it's also more concerning because I think some of these people who can't afford physiotherapy are not going to get physiotherapy. And I wonder what the cost of the system will be for that. 
There's also been some discontinuation of payment of some life-saving drugs. That was a change as well. We have had people living in the community who had some of their medication paid for, and that service is going to be discontinued, and they're going to have to go through the pharmacare system. Another one that comes to mind is the CPAP. So people who have sleep apnea and have machines at home to help them sleep at night, those machines were being paid for, and all the equipment associated with them were government-funded, and now they're no longer government-funded. So all these do have an impact on the health of people, and certainly the fact that people who can't afford to use these things may discontinue using them, and then the problem will be what impact will that have on their health, and what impact will that have on the healthcare system. And what role do you see the nurses' union playing in defending the public character of the healthcare system? Well, I think we just have to continue to speak out. And we do know that nurses, and particularly frontline nurses, but all nurses, are one of the most trusted spokespeople. And certainly we know from many, many polls, and I know there was just a poll a few weeks ago, a national poll that talked about how trusted nurses are. And so I think that just gives us a responsibility because the public trusts us to speak about the importance of maintaining this publicly funded universal access healthcare system. And I do believe as a union that represents the vast majority of nurses in this province who are, you know, a, a very large cog in the wheel of healthcare. I mean, nurses represent one of the largest professions in healthcare. We have a responsibility because we represent these trusted spokespeople. We have a responsibility to speak on their behalf and speak on behalf of the citizens of Manitoba. So imagine for a moment a situation beyond just having to fend off cuts. What would a healthcare system that had been strengthened and improved and really did put patients first look like? Well, I think from a practical view, it would be, you know, making sure that we have enough nurses and enough staff, frontline staff, to actually adequately take care of patients, to stop the cuts and quit the closures. And, you know, one of the things that I've been saying is what we really need to be looking at is what is the population needs of this province? What does this province need? What do the citizens of this province need for health care? Where do they need it to be delivered? What services do they need to be delivered where? And how can we do that universally with public access, etc., and make sure that we maintain quality care, but we also have to do it in a way that is fiscally responsible. And I think all those things can happen. I think that they talk about the cost of health care and how expensive it is. Really and truly, the increase in cost hasn't been as much as they have been saying. And again, you're talking about something that is extremely important to people. And I just think that sometimes it's lost on the fact that we can look at a publicly funded system where people are getting the services they need in their communities and we can still be fiscally responsible. So I guess that's what it would look like is that people would have access to the health care that they need within a reasonable distance and the communities would actually have all the resources they needed, but we would be delivering that in a fiscally responsible way. And I almost hate to say that because that sounded, (laughs) but you know, what I'm trying to say is that we can actually provide quality health care without cutting. What does the Manitoba Nurses Union have planned to continue pushing forward your agenda of putting patients first beyond the rally on May 2nd? Well, that's something we have to keep assessing daily. We certainly will be maintaining our Put Patients First brand and our Put Patients First campaign and emphasizing the importance of nurses in the system and what we have to say and listening to nurses. And then we will have to respond as changes happen. But certainly our main messaging is that we are standing up for our patients and that our message is that we have to reconsider the cuts and changes that are happening and we have to reconsider the changes that are being contemplated for the future. You have been listening to my interview with Sandy Mowat, president of the Manitoba Nurses Union. 
To find out more about the union and their work, go to manitobanurses.ca, and to learn more about their rally in Winnipeg on May 2nd, search for MNU Rally for Safe Patient Care on Facebook. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, or to suggest topics for future shows, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show. On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook or Twitter. I'm your host, Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, Gender and Sexuality, and Resisting the State, both from Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week.